The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Your host is Rochelle McLaughlin. It's time to experience radical well-being. Learn to nourish your heart, body, and mind. Manifest your power in the present. And learn to live your life's infinite potential. Now, here's your host, Rochelle McLaughlin. Welcome, everyone. I'm Annie Levin, and this is Precipice, a show that aspires to stand at the edge. The edge of what we know, what we understand, what's familiar or comfortable to see what conversations emerge from there. We invite guests willing to explore that terrain with us. They may be expert in certain things, but none of us are expert in navigating this troubled time. So we will be wondering out loud together. Today, I'm excited to be speaking to Kate Bunny, the coordinator of Walking Water, a pilgrimage that walks the natural and man-made waterways from from Mono Lake to Los Angeles. Before we get started, a bit about Kate. Kate was born and raised in the UK. Surrounded by water on all sides, she learned to swim and sail as soon as she could. From an early age, she witnessed many disparities in our human world and began searching for the places where change was happening for the better. She has worked in safe houses for women and children experiencing domestic violence, adults with learning difficulties, schools, a child abuse study unit, with young offenders, young girls working on the streets, and as a consultant for the UK police force, national unions, and NGOs. She has a degree with honors in psychology and a master's in women's studies with a focus on epistemology, leading her to carry the question of what do we do with what we know. For 15 years, Kate lived in one of the most progressive communities in the world and held a focus on educational programs and consultancy for communities in conflict areas, fundraising, global networking, organizing, and public relations. One of her main roles was organizing and walking pilgrimage through Israel and Palestine, Colombia and Europe, as a way of empowering social action and rediscovering our potential as agents of change. In 2012, Kate founded Walking Water, a pilgrimage with the waters, as a way to inspire us to be in community, be in relation with the waters and the places we live, and ultimately to experience the huge potential we all have to create change. Kate is a member of the Beyond Boundaries team, a council carrier and community consultant, and has recently joined the Weaving Earth team in California. Kate, it's my great pleasure to welcome you to Precipice. Hi, thank you. Thank you, Annie. Yeah. So to, to get us started, can you provide an overview of the Walking Water Project and how it came into being? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it started in 2012. Um, and it was the time where I left Tamira 
the community that I'd lived in for 15 years and was invited to come to the Owens Valley in the Eastern Sierras by Gigi Coyle, who is now my work partner on Walking Water. And before that, she'd been a strong mentor for me and a guide um, in council practice and generally living in a kind of a circle way. Um, so I, she invited me to come um, to take part in a course, so I did that. And one day, literally two days or so before, um, after I arrived to the valley, I was walking next to a creek called the Tinamaha Creek. And there I had a very physical experience of a whole group of us walking together. And you could, I could smell the dust. I could hear this kind of collective movement. Um, and the, the voice, the, the message that I received from that was that this land is asking us to walk on with it again. And we need to walk with water. Um, and so I took that vision, I would say, and shared it with Gigi. And she asked me if I knew anything about what had happened in the Owens Valley. And I didn't know anything. So I started to read up and, and started to understand the meaning of this message and this vision. And just became... Fascinated is probably not the right word, but I became completely focused on the history of the valley and, and what has happened for the, the Paiute people, um, the indigenous tribe there in the valley, um, and the, the story of water as it's gone on for hundreds and hundreds of years in the valley. So it seemed an incredible story and stories to be, um, to be listened to in that way. So I carried that with me for some time and just kept speaking it, sharing that experience. And more and more people were coming to me and saying, I had the same dream or I had the same vision. I, I've always wanted to do that. Um, and so it really became a vision that had actually been received by many people. And I was just one of them, and I had maybe some abilities that, that could help that really become a reality. And so I gradually held that picture and widened it and opened it, and Gigi and I in particular worked together a lot on it and developed that, that picture. And Walking Water is really the result of that, which is the pilgrimage, as you already mentioned, from Mono Lake down to Los Angeles, and the idea really being to bear witness to the valley and also the city, this huge kind of urban site, to, to understand the relationship between the source and the end user, to hear the stories of the people, um, the peoples and the lands and the waters of, this, of that area, knowing that there are so, there's so much wisdom held there and ultimately to try and support all of us to restore our relations to water um, because it's only in relationship with that I feel that we can really shift the way that that we're using water 
shifted away from being seen as a resource and rather as really a life force. So we started walking 2015 and we walked from Mono Lake down to Owens Lake. And Owens Lake is one of the, the largest toxic pollutant sites in the US um, because it's been drained. It's a, it's a dry lake at the moment. Um, and the chemicals that are, that are there on the bed of the lake are toxic. And so there's a huge amount of kind of health consequences that have, that have occurred because of that drying of the lake. So that was the first year. And the second year, we went from Owens Lake down to the Cascades in Silma. And that, that part of the journey was actually, we didn't see an open body of water for two and a half weeks. Instead, we followed a pipe which carries the water down from, from the eastern Sierras down to L.A. And this coming year, uh, in the fall, we'll be going from the Cascades through Los Angeles and we'll end at Long Beach. So we have a, an incredible team. We have a huge team of volunteers. We're all pretty much volunteering everything that we can Put together, um, and the core team is Gigi and I, and also Alan Baycock, who is the water coordinator for the Big Pine Paiute Tribe. And so we've we're working as much as we can, and and in the ways that we can, with the people whose stories it really is. Yeah. So that's a, a small piece. <laughs> Yeah. I have so many questions. <laughs> um, I'm wondering, you did a lot of research before this journey, and it sounds like learned a lot about the story of this waterway that you were to walk. I'm wondering what were what became visible or what what were you able to perceive in the walking? that wasn't available in the learning on paper? Mm. I think the main difference is that, you know, with all the, the books that I read, there is a, you know, there's a, a mental understanding of that. And then I spent a lot of time with people, um, with tribal members who, you know, have been there generation after generation and hearing their stories then there is a, you know, it's a deeper process again. So it's not only mental, but it, it starts to become embodied. And so a physical experience as well. And then as we're actually walking, it, it really becomes, you know, there in your cells. Um, you know, as you're walking, you feel the heat, you feel the dryness, you miss water, you don't see it. And knowing that it's a place that was, that had a huge amount of water at one point. Um, and so that physical experience um, allows us to understand it, I think, on a deeper level. Um, and so it becomes very real. And so it's not, it's not so much that we saw things that we didn't know about, but we saw things in a very different way. And we saw things together. And so the big part of 
walking water is really us trying to create a moving community. And so that we ask those questions and we bear witness to the situation really together as a community and not alone, which is, I think, part of, part of the, the process of, of empowerment that we're trying to create as we do the pilgrimage. Um, I think all of us know, you know, this experience of asking those questions and asking questions of ourselves alone. And what is it to really be able to hear and walk with others who have the same questions and are exploring the same possibilities? For those who don't know the story of that stretch from Mono Lake to Los Angeles, can you speak a bit about the story of, of the water? Yeah, I mean... It, in a very simplified way, um, the Paiute people um, have lived on that land um, and were up until the mid-1800s and living with the land. Um, so there were, there's a, you know, the kind of the natural form of the water is that there's many, many creeks that run into the river, the Owens River, and then has these kind of holding places like the lake. And, and then it, it, it goes, uh, where did it go? I think it goes round to the east. Um, and so people were, the Paiute people were, you know, nourished and living off that land. 18, mid 1800s, the settlers started to begin moving in and the mining companies and so on. So the gold and other and silver were mined there. And then in the early 1900s, Los Angeles had the question of how to really provide water for their growing population. And William Mulholland was the, the, the director of water here. He had the responsibility of providing that water to Los Angeles. And he then began building the aqueduct, which took, I think, around 10, 15 years um, to build and was one of the, the most, you know, incredible engineering feats at that time. Um, it, it takes the water down, gravity-fed, um, and that was developed and done and completed, I think, in 1913, um, and that then took a huge amount of water from the Eastern Sierras, from the Owens Valley down to Los Angeles. And today, LA has around 30% of LA's water is taken from the valley. Um, in between all that, with the settlers and the miners coming in, then the Paiute people were, you know, really horrifically dispersed, many murdered. Um, it's a you know, there's really, there's a trail of tears where the Paiute were marched out of the valley. Um, and there is still, I think, that, that that process of grieving and healing is still very needed and um, really being asked for. Mm. It's time to take a short break. And I'm looking forward after the break to 
to continuing this conversation with Kate Bunny of Walking Water. You can find out more about Kate and Walking Water at walking-water.org. And we will be right back after these messages. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Do you know that you were born to experience revolutionary wellness? Have you wondered why extraordinary physical, mental, and emotional health has eluded you? Do you know that your infinite personal power resides right here in the present moment? People all over the world are awakening to their birthright. Revolutionary Wellness. Subscribe today at revolutionarywellnessmagazine.com and begin your journey into the mystery. Engage with experts in topics of nourishment, wisdom, and empowerment. Develop mental clarity. Live wholeheartedly and be empowered to live an authentic life of passion and purpose. The world, now more than ever, needs you to feel revolutionarily well. Explore and integrate new ways of being. Learn to access your own unique treasure, the wisdom that is right there inside you, waiting to be revealed. Experience a renewed, vivid, and nourishing relationship with yourself and the world around you. Log on and subscribe to Revolutionary Wellness Magazine today and experience the publication devoted to your journey toward extraordinary health and well-being. RevolutionaryWellnessMagazine.com Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Rochelle is a clinician of mind-body medicine, lifestyle change, and self-healing. She is a life mentor, author, and publisher of Revolutionary Wellness Magazine. You can reach Rochelle at experiencerevolutionarywellness.com. Now back to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Welcome back to Precipice. I'm Annie Levin, and my guest today is Kate Bunny, founder of The Walking Water Project a walking pilgrimage that follows the natural and man-made waterways in California between Mono Lake and Los Angeles. You can find out more about Kate and Walking Water at walking-water.org. Before the break, Kate, you were speaking to what has happened to the water over time as, as so much water was diverted from where it was naturally flowing 
to Los Angeles at at great cost to the land and to the Paiute people who lived on that land. And I'm wondering, on the website, you you speak of walking water in part as a celebration. And I'm wondering, what role does grief play in the walk? Hmm. I think that, I mean, grief has a huge part to play in what we do. Um, generally, what I, I feel like in our society, in our world right now, is that we don't really grieve um, in the way that we can really grieve right through. And so there's a lot of either um, we ignore or we try to put away or we try to to hide somehow this this feeling of grief, the feeling of, of death and dying and being able to let go. And the what I've what I feel with the with the valley, with the story of the water, is that that process of grieving still needs to happen. Um, on a maybe on a national level. Um, that we as a society can treat people in the way that the Paiute people have been treated in the valley, um, that we can treat water in the way that water is treated. Um, this, I know that in my heart there's a huge pain that I carry every day knowing that and wanting and, and needing to do whatever I can to resolve that issue to resolve that. And part of that is recognition. So grief, I feel, is about recognizing what we've done and uh, making amends for that. Um, so what we do in the walk, we, in both years, even though we don't plan on a day-to-day -day level what we're going to do when, um, we really try to be open to what comes to us. But in both years, there's been a very strong grieving ceremony that we've, that we've held throughout that time. And last year in particular, it was very strong because the path that we took as we were walking traversed across and also really went on the same path as the Trail of Tears, um, where the Paiute were marched out of the valley. And... It's our responsibility to bear witness to that. It's our responsibility to hear the stories of that um, and to, to be open and to allow that in and digest that and work with it, again, on a community level. And then, you know, go into prayer, go into that process of grieving to recognize it and let it go. So... Um, yeah, I feel that if we can do that, then we release a lot of energy and then can really start to create a place where we can grieve and we can celebrate at the same time. It's something about recognizing the beauty and the horror that we have in our world. Yeah. I'm, I'm imagining the portion of the walk you spoke about last year with the walkers walking that same route that the Paiute walked mm. years ago and 
and the listening and grieving. And I, I'm wondering about pilgrimage as social action. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering about, I, I know on your site, you, you speak specifically to this, that it's not a demonstration. It's not a march against something. Instead, it is a celebration of the possibilities we have when we come together. And and I'm wondering about in where does pilgrimage fit in your understanding of what constitutes social action in this time? Mm-hmm. Okay, there's <laughs> that's a huge question. So I'm going to try and pick a few parts out. Um, I feel that there is an element of social action which which has been and maybe still is in parts, but where it's it's very much designed to be against something. And there almost needs that. It's a it's a kind of a revolutionary energy, which is really saying no. Um, and in the in the work that I've done really in, around the world what I've seen or experienced again and again is that the real, the, the real power, um, both individually but also collectively, can come really from, from when we say, this is what I'm for, this is what I want to go for. And that's an energy which is very attractive, it's very inspiring, so it can bring people together on a very different level, I think. Um, and it, I feel like it takes us very close to our heart and very close to um, a place of prayer for each of us. So when, when we write on the, where, where we say that it's not a demonstration, when we're not trying to stop anything. What we're trying to do is, is get things started again, get things flowing again. And so we, we take water in that way as our focus. Um, so it's very much our guiding force and water wants to flow. So how can we create action and prayer, both individually and collectively, in a way which it can flow towards something? Um, so that's a, a basic principle. And what pilgrimage does is it puts us very much in the moment, in the place. So um, it asks us to connect again to land. It asks us to connect again to water. It asks us to connect again to each other. And so we start to create circles and loops again where, where all of us, whether that's human beings, other animals and creatures and and the the land and water and so on it's all part of one and and creating that kind of a unified aspect even with all the diversity that that can be held within it so it's creating a new way of relationship a relationship that has possibility um, it's also by making by putting us in that place where it's actually happening. So in the Owens Valley, it's actually happening that the water is being taken. So the environmental impacts are right there. You can't ignore them. 
So by placing us in that and guiding us through that, it also creates a relationship between my inner being and the outside world. And part of, I feel like, part of social action is around disruption. We're trying to disrupt what is happening and what's going on. And what pilgrimage does is offer an opportunity where we can disrupt ourselves and also disrupt what's going on outside, but from a connection, from a real point of connectivity. And if we're doing things in connection and in respect and reverence for all that is around us, then I feel that that's a very empowering position to be in. That's really interesting because as I think about a lot of the forms of social action that are more common or more visible, like protest, they have the element of disruption, Mm -hmm. but not necessarily the element of connection or or attraction that they they're against, like you said before. So they're disruptive and they're generally against something. And what you're talking about is is being disruptive and for something. And yeah. I'm I'm wondering, can you think of any examples of things that have happened over the course of the two years of this project so far where where that disruption pulled in an ally or or some other organization or person that you wouldn't necessarily have expected to be drawn in? I would say that first of all, we start from the, the place of expecting everybody to be drawn in, <laughs> right? Yeah. Because, you know, if we're trying to restore our relationship to water, then, you know, water affects all of us. And, and so, the question has been and is always, how can we include everybody in that question and in that movement? And whether that's actually walking or contributing in another way or doing an own action somewhere else. You know, the, the way that we've, we've organized and created Walking Water is hopefully as inclusive as, as possible. So... So there's that element, and we're, I think so far we've done pretty well in being able to kind of stretch from um, maybe very grassroots people and water activists who are, you know, working around the world doing incredible work, um, and also on a more political level as well, so that we, that we can have conversations with those agencies that are responsible for providing the the water to Los Angeles um, and keep that, you know, dialogue open at all times, even, even when it may seem that it's not possible or something like that. So, so we, we keep it open in a way that we, we try to stay from a place of curiosity of from a place of inspiration, um, really asking the questions and asking them in a way, not as a judgment, but just these are the questions. So, you know, how can we work together on answering them? Mm-hmm. So we start from that place of openness. 
You mentioned earlier about that in the the creation of this project, there was a way in which the land spoke to you, that you had a sense that this wanted to happen there. And I'm wondering about the the dance between human and more than human world in terms of to, to what extent are you walking um, on behalf of water? To what extent is it on behalf of humans? How does that how does that dance together in this work? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I'm walking on behalf of me. You know, there was once once the vision was received. And I, I really started to work with that and what would be the responsibility of that vision and what do I need to do to be able to, um, one, respond and really be able to carry out that vision to, you know, the greatest that it's meant to be. Um, I needed to do a lot of listening and a lot of um, understanding about myself and so on. And one thing that I came to and which has I think been quite a guiding um, force in all the work that I've done around the world is that you can't, you can't do something for somebody else. What we can do is create spaces where we can start to, to work together and to, to do it with that element. And so I can't walk for water um, I have no idea, really, what water wants and what it needs. I only have my understanding of what I think it, it wants and needs. I feel that water asked me to be its friend. And for me, an understanding of friendship is, is a commitment. Um, it's a commitment to standing up with that element. So in this case, water. Um, and, and then, you know, creating that relationship and being with that relationship. And water has been an incredible guide for me. I've learned an incredible amount. So if anything, water is flowing for me. Um, mm. And I need to do it with. Mm. So, so that's, that's the, the kind of the relationship that I feel it's about. Beautiful. It's time to take another short break. Uh, Before we go, I'd like to share an excerpt from the Walking Water website. Nowhere on earth is immune to the need to radically rethink how we act, think, and live in relation to water. Access to water has become a burning issue for every human being and all other living beings on earth. These words are from my guest today and coordinator of Walking Water, Kate Bunny. You can find out more about Kate and Walking Water at walking-water.org. And we'll be right back on Precipice. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Do you know that you were born to experience revolutionary wellness? Have you wondered why extraordinary physical, mental, and emotional health has eluded you? Do you know that your infinite personal power resides right here in the present moment? 
people all over the world are awakening to their birthright, Revolutionary Wellness. Subscribe today at RevolutionaryWellnessMagazine.com and begin your journey into the mystery. Engage with experts in topics of nourishment, wisdom, and empowerment. Develop mental clarity, live wholeheartedly, and be empowered to live an authentic life of passion and purpose. The world, now more than ever, needs you to feel revolutionarily well. Explore and integrate new ways of being. Learn to access your own unique treasure, the wisdom that is right there inside you, waiting to be revealed. Experience a renewed, vivid, and nourishing relationship with yourself and the world around you. Log on and subscribe to Revolutionary Wellness Magazine today and experience the publication devoted to your journey toward extraordinary health and well-being. RevolutionaryWellnessMagazine.com The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Rochelle is a clinician of mind-body medicine, lifestyle change, and self-healing. She is a life mentor, author, and publisher of Revolutionary Wellness Magazine. You can reach Rochelle at experiencerevolutionarywellness.com. Now back to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Welcome back to Precipice. I'm Annie Levin, and my guest today is Kate Bunny, founder of The Walking Water Project a walking pilgrimage that follows the natural and man-made waterways in California between Mono Lake and Los Angeles. You can find out more about Kate and Walking Water at walking-water.org. Before the break, Kate, you were speaking to walking on your own behalf in, in relationship to water. And I'm wondering, for people who have become aware of the importance of water and and of having being in right relationship with water in some way where 
we're not purely looking to it as a resource and where we have some awareness of what what a healthy water system might look like out many, many generations. For those who might not be able to take the time to spend a few weeks walking a waterway, are there, are there thoughts you have on ways for anyone in the place where they are to deepen their relationship to water? Sure. Um, part of what we do with walking water is because, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a real privilege to be able to take two or three weeks out of our lives and just, just walk <laughs> um, and walk with water. Um, and so we're, we're aware of that. And so one aspect that we do is we also ask people to do um, or hold kind of parallel events. And, from, and so all around the world, people are going to their local waterways and learning about that, understanding about that, and then doing what is relevant and needed in, in that area. And that could be kind of cleaning up the river uh, or just praying every day. So there's a whole range of ways that we can connect with water every day. Um, and then, you know, on, a, on another level, part of what walking water is about is, is this kind of political prayer. And I see definitely pilgrimage and, and this particular pilgrimage, walking water, as being a very political act in the way that, you know, how the question of politics, of, of how do we structure our lives, our daily lives, and what is at the core of that structure? What, what's the guiding force which we then make our decisions from and, and so on? What if that were water? What if that were the orientation of our lives? And from there, how would we live? How, what kind of decisions would we make? How would we move? Um, and how would we create that kind of relationship with water where we really learn what it is um, to be a life force as, as all of us have the potential to be. So there's this kind of very practical, yes, we can go to the river every day and yes, we can challenge, you know, political decisions and policies that are are clearly not in the good um, in the good for of water and for ourselves um, and then we can really start to see on a on a kind of a deeper almost philosophical level of how would it be to live if water was our orientation mm. I was just feeling a bit of sadness about how little I know about where my water comes from mm-hmm. <laughs> that I know a little bit on paper that most of it comes from a reservoir a few hundred miles north of New York City. But, but I realize, I recognize the degree to which my life is not oriented towards water. Yeah. And, and so that question, what, what would it look like to orient in that way? It really opens up the imagination it would mean a lot of big changes, I think. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and it's exciting. It's an it's an exciting kind of exploration, um, mm. and also very challenging. When you know, one of the conditions, I suppose, for me when I I said, okay, I will do walking water, was that you know healing and water will be the guide of this. So so I I only organize from the place which I understand how water would organize this, you know? Um, and that that brings me to places um, which are incredibly challenging um, and incredibly stretching and expansive as well and unknown to me. Mm. So, so it's been a huge gift to be able to you know, just to bring that in as a thought and as a feeling over these last few years. Can you give an example of some some way that you an answer to that question shaped what happened? How how would water organize this? <laughs> yeah, um, I think that you know it's if we with walking water as an example, if we strip it all down, then it's you could say, well, it's an event. And to organize an event, you need so many certain aspects to, to be there. And you plan it and you organize it in such a way and you do it. And the way with Walking Water has been very different in that we haven't planned. So we, we live from this, this kind of practice in a way that we know where we want to get to. And so in this way of like water knows that it, it will get to the ocean, right, at some point, or it will get to the aquifer. And so it knows where it's going, but it constantly changes its path depending on what's there, what's needed in that moment. And so with walking water and how we've organized it has been very, I would say, flowy in that sense. Um, definitely not predictable and finding ways in ourselves to really be open to the unexpected, to, to be open to the surprises and the challenges and rather than move them out of the way, include them because that's, you know, that's what water does. Um, a while ago I was watching a river and a tree had fallen into the river and rather than the water trying to push it out, it just kind of went around it and consumed it in a way. So it included it into its path. So that's what we do. And, and there are times where things come up where we're really like, whoa, no, I don't think we want to include that. But it's come up in our path. And so we have to look at that and, and start looking and, and bringing that in and including it. It seems like such a powerful framework for this time that we're in because one of the things that I've struggled with is it it seems almost impossible right now to know how to move forward sometimes in the face of the crises that we see mm. and and so if we're waiting to know exactly how to get to the ocean then we may never take that first step. And it sounds like one of the, the things that you've been able to do is have that vision of, of where you're trying to go 
and then letting water help you know how to proceed as each new contour in the landscape shows itself. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, water is a life force. So mm -hmm. it's, it's water and it's life, which is the guiding, the guiding principle. Um, yeah. And it, it's the same element with pilgrimage in that with pilgrimage, you never stand still. You're always moving, whether it's slow or fast, whether it's in the morning or the afternoon. There, there are variables to it, but you're always moving. And we often, or we actually do in this walk, we know exactly where we're going that night because we have to um, in order you know, to get permits and so on. But, but there is a, a general feeling we don't know where we're going. We're just walking and we know that it's this path in this moment which is the most important thing. And if we stop, then the whole group has to stop. So how can we keep moving mm. at, at the pace that we need to, both individually and collectively? Mm. One question that I have, and this is maybe a, a personal inquiry for me, there's... When I see a project like this that is so enormous in scale and really beautiful, it's easy for me to fall into a story that says, I could never do that. That's too big. That would be beyond my, my capacity. And, and I th think in our culture, we do a lot of talking about the heroic and talking about the, the big successes and not looking at the small steps that it took to get there. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the labor of this, of what what has been required for this project to make it this far. What did mm -hmm. what did it ask of you or or others? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, maybe first of all to say that even though it may seem like a huge project, and it is in many ways, the essence of it is very very simple in that we just walk. And we will walk whether there's a lot of media attention, whether there's a lot of funding, all of those things, we will still walk because all we need for that are some good shoes and you know some food and then we can do it. So that's the, um, that's the baseline. And everything else above and beyond that is beautiful if we're able to do it in a good way. If we're not able to do it in a good way, then we don't do it. Um, that's a kind of a simple rule, I would say, that we hold. Um, and the, you know, the idea of really making it that simple is that everybody can do something. Um, we have like a, a big volunteer team, but everybody does a little bit. You know, and so and we, we like to do it like that because then we create community around it and everybody can really give what they love to give and not feel this um, way of oppression or responsibility. So it's very much created through love, what we do. Um, and at the same time, for me, I'm, I'm the only full-time person on it. Um, and you know, it's my life in 
in every way, I would say, um, and in a good way, not in a bad way at all. That it means that you know there are the practical you know tasks that need doing, and so it is around working with foundations, grant making. It's about being and working with the website. It's about contacting and being with media. It's about developing the route and working with the communities that are along that route. So there's there's many many things that that are done in order to create what we create. Um, and at the same time, in in my position, for example, I also have a responsibility to keep working on that aspect that where I don't forget that water is the guide. And so that means not just sitting at a computer all the time. It means being in water, connecting with water. It means walking. It means listening to story, being with people who have stories about water and about the land, and just keeping that real as well. Thank you so much, Kate. We're, we're out of time. I wish we could talk longer. Um, my guest today has been Kate Boney, founder of Walking Water, a pilgrimage that walks the natural and man-made waterways in California between Mono Lake and Los Angeles. Thank you so much, Kate, for joining me in conversation and for your work bringing people, land, and water together in California and around the world. Thank you. You can follow Walking Water's work at walking-water.org. Next week, Precipice will be back with Charles Eisenstein, author of Sacred Economics, The Ascent of Humanity, and The More Beautiful World Our Hearts Know is Possible. Charles's work examines the underlying stories of our culture, so we're likely to be diving deep. Please join us for that conversation at this time, 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, on Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. It has been such a pleasure to be here with you all today. Thank you for listening in. In the meantime, before next week, may we be willing to stand at the edge, unblinking, together. I'm Annie Levin, and this is Precipice. Thank you for opening your heart and mind to a new way of being, to greater degrees of self-compassion and wellness, and your experience of your own infinite potential with Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Join host Rochelle next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time to turn courageously toward your own unique experience of health and wellness here on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Remember, you too can experience revolutionary wellness. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.